welcome to Employee of the Month. Here's your host, Katie Lazarus. Hi, welcome back to Employee of the Month. Um, this episode was taped live at Upright Citizens Brigade Theater for our office holiday party show. And I'm so delighted to share with you my interview with Hari Kunzru, who's best known as a novelist. Uh, most recently, Gods Without Men, but he also wrote My Revolution's Transmission, The Impressionist, and then a series of short stories called Noise. But he's also had this ridiculously um, perfect career, I would say, as a journalist, um, starting out at Wired UK as a travel journalist for The Telegraph and Time Out. I don't know how to call someone a journalist if they worked it for Time Out, even if it's in Britain. Um, and then went on to become a music editor at Wallpaper, and he's now the deputy president of the Penn Center. But it just seemed kind of ridiculous that you get to be a travel journalist and then a music editor, um, and then also write these incredible novels that are all received with very much the duly deserved literary acclaim, as well as uh, hefty advances. Um, so it just seems like a dream to be able to write what you want. I guess the key there is having talent. Gotta get that. I gotta get that. All right, well, without further ado, please enjoy my interview with Mr. Hari Kunzru. Hari, can you come closer? Ooh, always, yeah. Just to snuggle? Um, I'm going to put out your latest novel, which is actually now in paperback. Am I correct? Oh, yeah, imminently, like in, the, in like um, 9th of January, I think. You got the early, early copy. I, good, because this one is very heavy. This weighs <laughs> in at least two pounds. Or stones for you guys, is that what you call it? That's that's Stones is imperial as well. We do, we could do metric if you like. If no, you want to, if no, you want to no, be no, Euro no. about it. I don't. I don't. I mean, as I'm intimidated by all of that. Um, I wanted to start out before you had this phenomenal career, which we're going to talk about. Um, I heard a rumor that one of your first jobs was juggling. Um, yeah, I suppose I should say that I I can't really juggle, which was a which was kind of a, a problem in in that job. A, a, a friend of. <laughs> A, fr a friend of mine got a job with a promotions company promoting a ginseng-based health drink, and it was it was the rave days of the early '90s, nice. and um, uh, the the people kind of doing the marketing thought, you know, what says non-alcoholic health drink, you know, keeping it together more than juggling, mm -hmm. and totally. Um, and of course, you know, they had noticed that there were a lot of parties going on where people didn't seem to be drinking alcohol and taking small white tablets. And so, but unfortunately, the marketing company were too lazy to actually Anacid. make, Anacid. make, yeah, Anacid. <laughs> actually, got some other stuff as well. There was actually it was sort of before the days of ketamine. It was, you know, everyone was kind of up. Anyway, special that's not K. The, I know what the um, name is. It's special K. It's yeah. a cereal, right? It's a cereal. It's a cereal. It's, it's not yeah, just yeah. a cereal. It's a very innocent time. <laughs> um, anyway, so they, but the, the promotions company was too lazy to actually make contact with any real rave promoters. So instead, they did a deal. <laughs> with a chain of nightclubs across Britain called the Ritzy nightclubs. And there's a Ritzy, in, or there used to be a Ritzy in every town, and it was the place where you went to, to, to fucking fight on a Saturday night. Nice. The, mo the most scary <laughs> people in any given small town in Britain were at the Ritzy nightclub, and they sent us in there. And my job initially was just to drive actual jugglers into these pits of hell where... Did the Ritz-Carlton like, get upset? Did they ever have people uh, come you know, there The Ritzy... It's not the same as the Ritz-Carlton, Ritz darling. Okay. It's not quite the same demographic, really. Um, so if you can imagine a kind of midnight in Cardiff and you've got a little silver bottle and you've got a guy with a little sort of cat weasel beard kind of doing some juggling and you're trying to offer a, 
a man a non-alcoholic drink, which is basically like a, an affront to his sexuality. Um, and it went very bad. And eventually, they kind of they they realised they could do it. On the, me, me and my my stoner buddies had because we'd been hanging out with all these jugglers, we learned to juggle a little bit. So they fucking fired the jugglers, and then got us to do it. Um, which we thought because was because you guys were stoned and they thought that you guys are more credible and responsible. And, and we do it for cash in hand, and oh, nice. uh, and yeah, we were very very cheap. Okay, good. That was our main uh, our main kind of selling point, really. So, um, and it all kind of went fine up until the point where uh, uh, on in a disco pub in South End on a on a lot sort of last orders on a Friday night. I mean, as you know, in 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 in, in the UK. There, there are many strict kind of Calvinist laws about when you can drink and when you can't. So all the pubs shut down. Oh, yes, yes, yeah, yes. All the pubs shut down at the same time. And so in the, the last kind of half an hour before the last orders is, is, is called, everybody is trying to get as much booze into themselves as possible because they have to try and make it through the rest of their night uh, <laughs> you know, right, on the street. <laughs> um, and so people were, in, we, people were at that moment in their evening, quite a concentrated moment, a moment where they had things on their mind. <laughs> There was a karaoke situation going on in this pub. We were trying to kind of make ourselves known, saying, can we just kind of walk through the crowd, do a little juggling, give a few non-alcoholic drinks out. Um, and they, they, they didn't really hear properly, and they put us on a stage. And so it's me and my friend Will, and Will had, had got some quite good Dutch hydroponic weed, which we'd smoked outside. And Did you so, bring any tonight to, for us to get a sense of it? A, <laughs> what, you mean for realism's yeah, sake? Yeah, just so that we can I be a forgot, part of the I moment. actually forgot everything. Didn't I? Okay. You remember, we had to, we, we've already had to... This is something I didn't for, know that was there to forget, <laughs> but I'm, I'm glad I know now. Yeah. I'll ask next time. Uh, so it, was the, it was the end of my juggling career, that, that <laughs> moment, in that we, we kind of stood in front of a very large audience, kind of completely stoned out of our minds, and just proceeded to sort of drop ball after ball after ball until they began to throw bottles at us and uh, and so we were glassed off the off the stage and at that point i realized that i better try and get a proper job <laughs> um would you like to juggle for us would you be willing well, well, is a better no, way to but ask you persuaded it? me that that is a sensible thing to try and do okay good i feel like we should see your other day jobs to see if you should keep yours and i know you I, I used should. To, i used to have some actual tricks but there was a kind of there's like no way i can remember them right now well but. you are you are welcome to to think about that while we roberta i have an assistant um oh roberta's here here oh thank god. god jesus come on on stage roberta <laughs> he did we work together in the Ritzy? And <laughs> this is who lost his job for you. No. <laughs> yes, you guys, drum roll, please. That is really, really cool. Roberta's going to take the Amy. Need that. Should we give it up for Roberta? <laughs> He's a deeply damaged young man. Yes, with children, too. He has a child. Wow. <laughs> even, even, <laughs> even less scary. Um, so I am glad you, you have kept your day job. I want to start out hearing about you worked at Wired UK to begin with. Is that the first one out of Oxford? 
that well, there was a big kind of gap of being on the dole and doing juggling and that kind of that kind of stuff. Okay. And then and then finally in my mid twenties, I, I land a job. And how did you land that job? Because it's a plum job. Um, yeah, I landed the job by basically being the only person who could come in at very very short notice. <laughs> um, Great. Um, yeah, somebody. Uh, what, I was so I was so I was practically minded, having been on the dole for a couple of years and written a very bad novel that nobody wanted to publish. I thought I needed to kind of get back in touch with the world of work, and so I did a philosophy degree. Great. <laughs> um, and when I realised that that wasn't really going to lead to anything that would keep food in my mouth, uh, I I mean I came out of the philosophy degree actually knowing a bit more about philosophy, but weirdly what I knew about was the internet. Uh, I had spent a lot of time in the, this is kind of fairly early days for the internet. And so when, when the wired people were setting up in Britain, they were looking for somebody who could write a sentence and knew what the internet was. And there were about four of us. Someone familiar in and MS DOS. So <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the command prompt. So, you know, you remember your archaeology. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so there, there I was. I was one of the, one of the four literate people who actually knew what the internet was in Britain. And so I got a job. Doing and, what? And what were you doing at Wired? Well, uh, initially I was a sort of I was a sort of office assistant, but I wormed my way up to a, an associate editor in the space of about eighteen months because there really wasn't anyone who knew anything at all. Um, and so I did. It was great. It was a really good sort of training to be a, a, a writer because I could be a kind of business journalist. And one day, I mean, people from very serious companies would have to take you know to take this rather sort of sloppy ute. Uh, you know, what is the, a ute? A ute. It's a youth. It's a, a youth, youth in, a, in a mildly Jamaican London. I don't know why I said that. I was watching this Hackney um, drama last night, so I've got all this kind of um, East London slang in my head, which I try <laughs> to keep in my head rather I'm a than fan. out of my I mouth. I thought it was slang that I didn't know, and I was going to start saying it to everyone, and they'd be like, we have no idea what you're talking about. Yes, you, can call, <laughs> you can call people little youth. Little youth. Yeah, I mean, but I'm not only Wait, if they are young, young men. L- little youth. Little? No. You can say now little. Now I sound like I'm in, like an Oliver. This is a Dick Van Dyke Cockney. <laughs> yeah. Biggest compliment so, one could possibly get. I very love good. It. Well done. <laughs> Wait, but so you started out as a travel journalist after this? Because that's well, like I a figured plum. there was this is also an amazing thing is that people would at that point people would give you free plane tickets if you'd write about what you did on your holidays. Who is people would give that to you? Well, there were the, uh, um, people from airlines. People from if you could if you could I say if you could phone I've never been contacted up, by an airline. No, it's all gone now. There, 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 there was there was a sort of moment when it was it was awesome. You could kind of get your mate who just give you five hundred words in some tiny publication, and then ring Air France and say, "Give me a ticket to West Africa." I'll say I flew to West Africa with with Air France at the bottom of the piece, and they would totally give you a ticket to West Africa. And so I got to, I got to do all sorts of strange rather sort of shoestring journeys of course once I was there I'd have to try and kind of persuade other people to give me hotel accommodation <laughs> do you have <laughs> any varying places? degrees of success <laughs> yeah were you ever out on the street then or no um actually the only place I've sp- I've I've, um, I've ever really slept rough is is America um <laughs> in common with most people earning under five hundred thousand dollars a year that's right <laughs> Um, in Tribeca, if you earn less than ninety thousand dollars, you are technically eligible for subsidized housing. That, I looked into it. That surprises me not not at all. <laughs> no, I came. I uh, when I was eighteen, I, I did. I, I came here and got one of those. I don't know if they still exist anymore. You could get a month Greyhound pass, 
And uh, I was trying to design a trip where I didn't have to to pay for any accommodation by going overnight to places on the bus. You have to be on the same bus the whole time. Well, if you if you went far enough, and you kind of if you if you did a bus journey that sort of started in the evening and kind of got you somewhere you might want to be in the morning, you could sleep on the bus. But unfortunately, people at the, at the back of the Greyhound bus on an overnight journey. It's kind of sketchy. Shocking. That out. is shocking, shocking um, news. I met a lot of quite <laughs> odd people. I, I, I converted briefly to various religions. Um, and Any we bit, should try? The pair, I thought the Baha'is, but they seem quite <laughs> oh, they're nice. They're very nice. They're very nice. Charming people. And they the have Baha'i. beautiful um, temples. I don't know what to call them. They never let me in there. It was mostly just literature. It was a kind of, uh, you know, read this pamphlet. I see. Um, but I ended up in Bar Harbor, Maine. Which is which is quite posh. Uh, yes. Um, and too fucking posh for it to have any like youth hostels or anything no. like that. You should tell the bushes though, because <coughs> I think they're from near there in really? Carbunkport. Yeah. All oh, right. Just okay. I could email have, them. I could have knocked on the door, but anyway, I ended up sleeping uh, in the porch of a church there, and um, and then in the middle of the night, I got up to take a leak, and and, and a voice next to me said, "Don't think I'm going to stay here too long." I kind of put my um, flashlight on basically Charles Manson, who seemed to have, uh, seemed to have uh, lain down next to me. There were two sleeping bags. There was me and Charlie Manson's sleeping bag. And he was, I mean, I, you know, obviously it's the middle of the night and I'm half asleep and I've got my cock in my hand. So it was like kind of an odd moment to meet anybody. But How do you think he um, felt? <laughs> well, hopefully. I think he was, he was, he was annoyed he'd startled me. <laughs> but, um, I slept in a park in Boston. <coughs> we should get you water. Yeah, sorry. Um, um, no, sorry. Right. Okay, have it's gone now. My drink? brief moment of crisis has gone. Um, Hold on one second. You're, you're very. Does Letterman do this? Actually, you kind of get off the stage. Oh, it's sangria. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> HPV is a wonderful thing that brings us all together. <laughs> I was actually quite enjoying that. <laughs> <laughs> My moment of relief was uh, ruined you like by you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if he has it or not. Just hearing the stories, you don't know. Um, Nothing happened between me and Charlie Manson. It was, it was purely platonic. I want to hear about The Lounge. This was a travel show you, you hosted on Sky TV. Um, Yes, I was. I was. It was wasn't a travel show. It was. A, it I was apologize. a show. It was a talk show. It you, was about you should the, talk to whoever does your uh, Wikipedia profile. Yeah, because <laughs> we we can all get that changed really yeah. easily. Yeah. That's how the internet works. Oh, is that? Oh, um, wait. I should be more responsible. Philip Roth oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, um, yeah. So the lounge. The, this was actually this. The lounge was what got me made it made me be able to write my first actually published wow. novel because. Um, before that, I was having to do all sorts of things that were taking up all my time in order to make money to pay my rent. Riding and then, buses, and then I masturbating. Yeah, yeah. Well, that never actually. Did, did you manage to make money doing that? I, know I the don't know. I don't thing, know. Yeah, that, that that made a lot of money. You can tell. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I I met somebody who who said that I could front up this uh, this TV show, but I mean, which sounds way more glamorous than it in fact was, because there there had been a channel that was called the Computer Channel, which is like saying the Don't Hot. Watch Me channel. <laughs> uh, and they were trying to rebrand it as Dot .TV. <laughs> See what they did awesome. there. Uh, awesome. so, you know, and, um, and I was cheap. And they, uh, so this, the format of the show was there was, a, there was a green screen and a sofa. And in the green screen, they would project kind of mind-churning rave visuals while <laughs> I had a conversation with anybody who'd come on for free. 
and who had a vague, and the idea was it was people who did creative work in the electronic arts, i.e. people I'd met in bars in Shoreditch, (laughs) who could kind of honestly claim to have once been in the studio. You know, so I, 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 I interviewed endless monosyllabic techno musicians. Uh, I mean, actually, there are whole there are whole tapes of this thing, which which consist of me trying to get them to say anything at all. We're gonna so to like basic channel, yeah, safe, safe. You know, so um, Detroit, yeah, 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 so it's safe, safe. I mean, I, it was it was like getting blood from a stone, really. And I mean, and it. it and also there was this, there was this thing that it was it was ultimately owned by Sky, so there were these there were these highly kind of quasi professional rules that we had to follow. Like I had some interviewee who called himself an art terrorist, and I was I was deemed to be insufficiently critical of terrorism while I was interviewing him. Instead of just and bad, the show got instead pulled. of just bad performance art. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean the guy the guy the, yeah the guy had kind of loon pants, and his art terrorism consisted of fence climbing. It was a kind of symbolic transgressions of various sorts that he was, he was involved in. But anyway, yeah. So, so the show got pulled because I should have, I should have apparently at some point leaned over and said, you know, terrorism is bad. <laughs> um, and then there was another guy. There was um, actually there's one guy who came, he came sort of semi-famous called Chili Gonzalez. I don't know. There was him. a uh, Does Gonzalez. Know Chili anyone Gonzalez? you know Gonzalez? Who's a sort no. of he's a, he's, so, he's, he's, a, he's up and coming still. I, I think he'd feel he'd feel wounded by that, but at the time, you know, he had a lot of chest hair and a, and a collaborator called the Musical Truth. And the you don't musical think he'd be more wounded by the fact that all you remember about him is that he had chest hair <laughs> and a chain and a wife beater. Yeah, but um, yeah, Musical Truth thing was that he wore an executioner's mask, which I thought made for quite good telly. Uh, but they were like, hi, could you say, could you tell the truth to lose the mask, please? <laughs> and I was like, uh, they'd like you to take off the mask, please. And he's like, truth does not lose the mask. Truth is the mask. Truth is in the mask. <laughs> Sounds like a Hennessy Youngman <laughs> trick. Actually, yeah, I think Hennessy Young is terribly derivative <laughs> of the musical truth. <laughs> um, um, but anyway, yeah, so, so the musical truth refused to, to, to lose the mask and, um, I was trying to stand up for the integrity of my show and over the earpiece they're going like, yeah, yeah, Harry, you're absolutely right. And the bastards just cropped it. <laughs> they just they just pulled in tight, tighter. So it was only me and Chili Gonzalez actually on screen and then there was sort of a voice, a disembodied <laughs> musical truth voice that would occasionally come on. It was, a, it was a useless show, but they would pay me. I'd go in and I'd record two or three of them every other Thursday afternoon and it paid me enough money that I could write for the rest of my time. But I live in fear of all those tapes surfacing. Because there was like the, the, the lights were incredibly hot, and there was no makeup. A uh, way, way wow. hotter than this. There, I mean, there, there are shows where I have sweat stains, like visible sweat stains, oh, like, nice. like that. And um, and I had a kind of unf- I, I was losing my hair at that point, but I hadn't really admitted it. So I had this kind of, sort of unfortunate sort of gelled remnant. <laughs> <laughs> Still going. So I, how did you transfer from that to suddenly becoming a music editor where you're suddenly an expert on music? Um, by liking free shit, really. Like, I mean, as you, there's a thing, you know, my journalistic career, as you can see, is kind of mainly orientated just, around blagging stuff. So like, it's, it's I, really, I worked out that if, you know, if you said you were a music reviewer, people would send you free music. And, and that was one of my main expenses of the week. Um, and... Uh, and I finally did actually manage to, to land this job at a magazine called Wallpaper. Yes, which is a very um, hip magazine. Which is, which is a very hip magazine and was staffed entirely by gay men and straight women. And they worked out that if they were going to have a music page, if it wasn't going to consist totally of Kylie, they needed to hire a straight guy. 
And I knew somebody on the magazine, so I, I had a very peculiar... Kylie Minogue for some people. Oh, yeah, because that's the, people don't even know that. People anymore. with musical taste may not know Harley. Um, that, <laughs> that used to be a shorthand for everything back in the nineties. You could just say Kylie, and people would know. Poor Kylie. Um, I know, but those are the same people who are giving you free airline tickets to Africa, and not all of us are lucky to know those people. They don't. Yeah, they don't <laughs> exist anymore. But yeah, so I had I had a, a an interview at Wallpaper, which consisted of of me being sat on a chair rather like this with one of those little mini hi-fis and i had to I had to put on cds and tell them why certain music was wallpaper wallpaper like that's great what, what turned out to be wallpaper was sort of polite down tempo house music of the sort that they put on in hotel lobbies okay and then during that you wrote the impressionist and i yes exactly and so that would be considered a breakout novel but you made over uh, a million pound advance for that how'd you do that um because there's a night <laughs> Uh, there's a nice lady called Carol, actually, who thought it was like Shogun. Okay. <laughs> no, honestly, uh, they, they, I got a, I got a, I got a very nice deal in Britain, and then the in America too. That would be a good deal here too. Oh, well, and the, and but most of that money is American money, and the, a, a nice, a nice lady from Penguin called Carol. Okay. Um, read the book, and it reminded her of Shogun. Oh wow! And so she paid me a huge amount of money because it reminded her of Shogun. And it's not really very like Shogun at all, but. I've never contradicted her. And she, <laughs> we won't say a word. Um, and she's remained your editor all the way through. She, um, she, she left the publishing house soon afterwards, uh, but is now my Not editor because again. Of that. Not because of that, though. No, I mean, no, she's she's a sort of she's a legend. That she's called Carol Barron, and she is the woman who picked up John Grisham off the slush pile. You've heard of And yes, she found all sorts of people. She gave the world the clan of the cave bear. A mixed blessing, I would say. <laughs> um, but Carol has a, Carol has what is known in publishing as the eye. So if she says it reminds her of Shogun, everyone just goes, yes, Carol, and then publishes it. So I sort of accidentally got in on the back of that, really. It's, a, it's a, an odd thing because I'm not really that sort of writer. But What sort of writer would you characterize yourself oh, I, as? Like, I just wandered straight into that question, didn't I? Um... <laughs> I should be old enough in the game not to set myself up for that terrible good. You know, I have to answer that question at immigration. That's, the, that's when that question mostly comes up for me is U.S. immigration. So why do you do it to have this visa? Uh, I'm a writer. What kind of writing? Well, it's, it's literary fiction, actually. And as I go to the little room. And so if you don't want to go to the little room, my, you have to say that you write about UFOs. Which, which is which do. is which is which which I do, but it, it that's my it's been my technique for about the last couple of years. Is because the UFOs turn out to be the most all American, uh, non suspicious thing that you could be into, <laughs> uh, and and you can get into a perfectly good conversation about. So do you think they're real? Like you ever been out and you ever seen one? Do you like didn't, didn't Grand Parsons go a, and look for them? And you can and everyone's always like you know welcome home. They but think you're normal uh, then. They think you're normal once you've talked about UFOs. Absolutely, yeah. Being involved in some sort of fringe belief system makes me worthy of being in your fine country. I want to... <laughs> we're running out of time, which is making me sad, because I, I, can I ask you right now in advance, can we have you back? Because we have so many things to cover. Sure. Um, one thing I did want to ask, you've gotten so many awards, so I, I had to write them all down here. Um, not an issue for myself, but for you this is. Uh, Travel Writer of the Year in 1999, Granta's Best Young Brit Novelists, one of 20 in 2003, New York Times Notable Book of the Year 2005. 
And then you turned down, and I cannot pronounce his name, John Rice. I'm going to Llewellyn Rice. That's exactly what I meant yeah. uh, for writers under 35. And you you turned it down because the Sunday Mail uh, backed the prize, and you suggested that they give the money instead um, to a thoughtful cause, uh, the Refugee Council. Yeah, it, um, I mean the prize itself is a very established prize. It was it was named after a, a young pilot who died in the Second World War, and um, it had been through various sponsors. And when it was offered to me, the sponsor is this evil right wing rag called uh, the Daily Mail. And um, are they connected to my ex boss by any chance? You know, they're one of the few things in my country he doesn't own. Oh, oh, that's you know, nice. There's a small corner and you. And of, of non Murdoch based. <laughs> microfascism that is uh, is the um anyway they were the sponsor throughout my childhood they had and into my adulthood they had maintained a, a, a kind of campaign of vitriol against black people women yes. immigrants gay people they're just just this they're just bad people and i didn't want to get a book prize from them um, and they'd had at the time they were they were doing this kind of campaign against asylum seekers, and they were really kind of banging the drum for why why Britain should sort of tighten policy on asylum. And um, anyway, so I turned down the prize and said they should give their give the prize money to the Refugee Council, which they did, thus becoming the Refugee Council's biggest donor of the year. Wow, um, that is fantastic! Um, that definitely deserves more than a round of applause. And, ah. then, and then they were they were sort of horrible to me for the next five years. But nice. then that's kind of in the in the game, really, isn't it? Yes, taking that risk. Now, on the flip side, however, you donated a short story to Oxfam's Oxtails, and I wondered why you didn't just donate money. Well, they didn't ask for any money. Um, they, no, they 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 did a, that was a, that was one of those charity anthology things they did a couple of years ago. They did uh, was it ele- themed around the elements. <laughs> <laughs> there was a fire, air. Water and Earth volume, and I was in the Water volume. Oh, very nice. Yeah, very nice. That's also how they sell makeup sometimes, just so you know. <laughs> Are you more kind of, of a girl water? science way yes. with the little kind of spinning yes. globules? Um, in addition to being a phenomenal a novelist, and I, I really cannot recommend Gods Without Men enough, although the New York Times uh, can't recommend it even more. I mean, they just loved this book almost as much as I did, I think, but they I loved it a lot. Um, and they refer to it as translit. Um, and I was just wondering if that was referring to the sexual identity of the characters, or you, or well, that was that was Douglas Copeland's phrase. Yes. Copeland, 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 Copeland. Yeah. Douglas Copeland's phrase um, f- for books which have lots of bits set in different times. And his examples were me and David Mitchell. Yeah. So I just I said thank you, sir. David Mitchell is in good company. Um, I wanted to also um, just ask you, because you have made a stand, and and I'm very impressed by it, um, with most recent, well, no, this isn't the most recent, uh, Naipaul was the most recent, but we're going to go back to... You're going to talk about Salman Rushdie, that was more recent. Okay, good, I apologize. Um, Well, I was very, very uh, impressed by it. You had gone to this literary festival, and um, wrist arrest because you read from the Satanic Verses. Yeah, we should say the Literary Festival is in India where the Satanic Verses is banned. And uh, it's a very complicated story involving Salman being invited to do an event there. I was supposed to interview him on stage, but he got a death threat. There was a, there, the organizers received information from Rajasthani police intelligence that three named gangsters were coming from Bombay to kill him. Um, and understandably, he thought that was not a great idea and and 
didn't make his appearance and we and me and another guy called Amitabha Kumar uh, decided that it was we had to kind of push back the idea that he'd been silenced was ridiculous and thought we thought we had to do something attention getting and provocative and uh, it seemed you know not good enough just to read some random bit of Salman stuff but we thought we should actually read from the satanic verses because that's what the, the fuss is all about and we did that and it really really kicked off and I had to leave the country <laughs> well so I wanted to, I wanted to give you something that I thought would be worse to read than the satanic verses and that is Snooky and also in response to it being the last night that is actually Shore. banned in Manhattan <laughs> isn't it it should be um, so if you wouldn't mind reading from uh, Snooky a Sure Thing, um, there were so many pages to choose between, but I, I would start here. Um, and you from, can read from tonight. From tonight, that, that, and it's spelled correctly, which is You've nice. You've got a whole, like, there's a whole passage. I tell you, you can go to almost any page, but wow. start, that one's a good one. Okay. <laughs> I can't, I'm not, I'm, I'm not even, even going to do, I, mean, I can't do Snooky's voice. Anyway, tonight she aimed her gyrating hip straight at... Salami Boy. <laughs> Is that a normal name in New Jersey? The guy could take a hint. In two seconds, he creeped over to her. In five seconds, they were grinding, her butt pressed against his thighs. She turned around to introduce herself. That's good that she does that. <laughs> I'm Gia, she screamed in his ear above the music. Rocky, he said, putting a bear paw on her waist. Oh, that's presumably not a literal bear paw, is it? Is it? <laughs> or is that a name for a thing, a Jersey thing? And holding her against him. Rocky in his jeans, thought Gia. Let's see what she did there. <laughs> God. Uh, even in the dark room, his blue eyes dazzled Gia, ice blue. Something about light eyes on dark skin always made Gia's body temperature rise. The music was too loud to talk, not that it mattered. Gia wasn't interested in making a deep soul connection. No shit. <laughs> Tonight was all about the three Ds, drinking, dancing, and duh. <laughs> Are you from around here? She yelled. No, why did she bother? <laughs> You got a nice rack, screamed Rocky in reply. Well, yeah, she thought. Okay, not a super genius. That was fine. Gia didn't judge. She was glad he approved. Come here, he said, lifting her off her heels to bring her lips to his. You sure Salman didn't write this? <laughs> Is that... She had to wrap her legs around his hips to stay up there. Here we go, thought Gia. 20 minutes from club entry to hook up. This might be a record even for her. <laughs> Bitch, get away from him, appealed a shrill voice from behind. Bony fingers grabbed Gia's shoulder and yanked her out of Rocky's arms. She hit the floor on her heels like a cat, but then stumbled and landed on her ass embarrassingly. A few guys stared, jaws unhinged. So I'm getting, oh, a, bit, I'm getting a bit sweaty part. now. Well, At her sweaty. sprawled on the dance floor, one started drooling. Oops, she said, realizing her dress was pushed up around her waist. Full frontal thong exposure. I think that's <laughs> where you mark that I have to stop, but I think we should go on. I, I think we can. <laughs> but I, I, I feel like this is probably worse than the satanic verses, wouldn't you say? Well, I'm more offended. I'm concernedly... <laughs> That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please check out our website, employeeofthemonthshow.com. That's employeeofthemonthshow.com. You can nominate people. You can give me feedback about the interviews, what you liked, didn't like, people you'd like to hear from. 
Again, this show is about jobs, work, and culture. So trying to get a sense of how people spend their time, what they do with it. We really only, we meaning me, like to only interview interesting good eggs. The good part meaning that they have a moral compass. I probably will not take someone if they're a dictator or a parking ticket officer, but anyone else who has a really interesting job or career, please feel free to uh, let us know about them. Please donate if you have money. We could really use your help. It makes the sound quality that much better. It helps pay for people. And even me, I could afford to have three meals in a day instead of combining. That would be a delight. I really want to thank Ian Mazoff for being just a wonderful partner in crime, as well as all of you for listening. Thank you so, so much. And how did I not thank Lady Parts? Thank you, Lady, for being the best co-host a host could ever have. I'm Katie Lazarus. Be well. <laughs>